Well, last week we looked at uh, cultivating worship, and I really wanted to continue into that um, because I left you with this question, what is worship? And uh, we talked about worship is worth-ship. Uh, it's the one that we are worshiping. And uh, I really want us to understand that it's Christ that we are to be worshiping. It's Christ that we are to be focusing on. Everything that we do in our lives as followers of Jesus should always be pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything. Um, the manner of our life that we live, how we live together uh, in community uh, here as a church, everything we do points to Jesus Christ, and it should be that attitude of our heart here. So this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, Philippians uh, chapter number two, and we're just going to get an attitude of worship, understanding um, the worth-ship of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul knew something about the Christian life that really helped him worship Christ. I mean, Knowing about Paul's life, we could say, well, here is Paul. I mean, he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. I mean, remember he was on the road to Damascus, and he was a, he was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, and he has an encountering uh, presence from the Lord, and he's knocked off of the horse that he's riding. And the glory of the Lord was shining so bright. And he's, he's going, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> and there was, a, there was a time that Paul knew he, he actually encountered the, the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, obviously, none of us here have seen Jesus Christ in a physical form face to face. I'm so looking forward to the time that we will behold our Savior face to face. Um, we may not have uh, had the opportunity to uh, be in the upper room with the Lord and had that time of, uh, of communion with the Lord. Or maybe we weren't there um, as, we, as the disciples were on the beach and they ate uh, fish with the Lord. But you know what? We have an opportunity to feast from His Word anytime that we want to. So Paul knew something about Christ, and I can remember uh, what Paul said, you know, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul had a deep desire to know Christ, and he knew something about the worth-ship of Jesus Christ. And remember, here's Paul, he's in prison. He's writing to this uh, church at Philippi. And he's reminding them, telling them, hey, look, here's my bonds. I am in prison. I am, I am in prison for preaching Christ. You continue to move forward. You continue to worship the Lord. You continue to follow after him. You magnify the Lord. And Paul gives us some great insight of how we worship Jesus Christ and how we are to do that. So if we, as a church here, are going to move forward... If we are going to desire his presence and make his presence known, we must worship Jesus Christ. We must reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done and the rightful place that he deserves in our hearts. Let's take a look here at the text, what the Bible tells us here. In Ephesians chapter number 2, 
beginning in verses 5 through 7. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that all the that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come here this morning because we are like children. God, we, we don't know how to come in, go out. Lord, we, we need your help. Lord, may you drive it into our hearts, the, the reality of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, may you please guide us into all truth this morning. We pray for your presence to be real among us this morning. Father, we pray that we, as, as believers in Christ, would exalt your son's name. Lord, you have already done that. Help us to model that. Help us to lift your name of your son, Jesus, up. Help us to magnify Jesus Christ in our hearts. We thank you so much for what you've done. God, in all of your wisdom, in, in everything that you've done, even though we didn't understand it, God, you knew what you were doing in, in eternity past, you knew what you were doing. And Lord, please help us to grasp that. Help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to worship your son, Jesus. We are just so grateful for allowing us here to meet. And I pray if there's any person here today that has not encountered the resurrected Lord Jesus, that today they would have an encountering with him that they would choose Christ over their sin, that they would choose Christ and that they would make him the Lord of their life. We're so grateful for your love for us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So here, as we think about worship, Paul gives us a complete statement about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let's look at these verses here, verses 6 through 7. The Bible tells us, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The fact that Jesus Christ took on flesh. When I think about worship, I have to get my heart attitude in the right place. That Jesus took on flesh. That in itself is something that scholars and, and people have written vast amounts of, of, of uh, commentaries on. 
And to think that Christ himself took on flesh. That is something that my heart should go out towards the Lord and worship him for actually doing that. If we think about Christ, he did not begin in Bethlehem. He's always been. He's eternal. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. In Colossians, it tells us it was by him that the world was framed. It was by him that all things consist. And so for Christ to step out of glory and come down to our level of humanity, that is something that is worth for us to say, God, Thank you for coming down to us, our level. And for Christ to take on flesh and become a man. He encountered the same things that you and I encounter. Hunger, thirst. He wept. He cried. He experienced sorrow. He experienced rejection. He experienced pain, and Christ robed himself in flesh and became a man. And what was the purpose of that? So that he might redeem us. And my heart attitude of worship should come from that, and seeing God, who is in the, seeing Christ, who is in the form of God, he emptied himself. And he became a man. Some people like to think the idea that Christ, when he became a man, he left off his his deity. He was still 100% man, and he was 100% God. You say, how in the world does that work? I don't know. But if I could explain, if we could explain how God actually does something like that, he would not be a God worth worshiping. And so God himself, he takes on the form of of a human and and he comes down and he becomes Christ Jesus here and he lives among us. One way that I like to think about this is the fact of somebody give me a car, any car. Prius. A Prius, okay. You said a car. Not a goat cart. But if you take a Prius, okay, everything about that Prius is a Prius. I can look at the mirrors and I can say, those are Prius mirrors. I can look at the dashboard. I can say, that's a Prius dashboard. Everything about that Prius is 100% Prius. That's what it is. Now, if I take that car and I completely submerge it into mud, caked on mud, I mean, it's completely covered and I let it dry. Now, would you still recognize it as a Prius? Probably not. I mean, it has mud everywhere. It's covering the windows. You can't see the little tag that says Prius on it anymore. But it's completely robed. It's completely covered. But it's still 100% Prius, even though it's covered in mud. Jesus Christ was still 100% God, even though he took on flesh. He was God. And he came down to our level to redeem us. And so Paul here says, 
that Jesus gave us this example of a selfless servant. You know, when we think about Christ in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what he was always doing? He was serving. Think about all the people that he healed. Think about all the things that he did. It was not for his own. It was always for the service of others. He was always giving. He was always serving others. In John 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. So Jesus Christ is the one that we worship. Jesus Christ is the one that we lift up and exalt because he became a man and he dwelt among us. I don't think we realize how, how much humility that took for God to become a man. I mean, we as human beings, we think we are great. But did you know the Bible tells us that we are made lower than the angels? And for Jesus himself to become a man that took great humility, to leave the glory of heaven and to come down to his creation that took great humility on his part. And so for me to cultivate worship in my life, for me to desire his presence in my life, I need to get an accurate view of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God, and that he has stepped down into creation to redeem me, to redeem you, to redeem us, to redeem the world. The Bible tells us that God's that Jesus was in the likeness of God. In other words, in nature. He, the text does not say that Jesus was in the fashion of God, meaning in the appearance of God, but it does say that Jesus was in the form of God, meaning that he was God. Now watch this, even though that Jesus was God, Paul tells us that Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant by taking on human form. He emptied himself. He left everything. We just sang just a while back about the fact that Jesus became poor for us, that we might be made rich. Jesus became a man for us. He emptied himself. You know, think about all the privileges that you have when you were growing up. As a child, I mean, I remember I could go to my parents and um, I could ask them for certain things and sometimes they would give them to me, sometimes they couldn't. But this is God who we're talking about. I mean, this is God who owns everything, who created everything. And he left all of that and took on the form of a servant. What humility that Jesus would do that for us. So if we are going to cultivate worship, we must remember his life, who Jesus was. He was a selfless servant. He gave everything. You know, in his humanity, Jesus was always thinking of the needs of others. He came to give, to love, to heal, to forgive, and to save us. 
Jesus was a selfless servant. Remember what he always said? He said, I am not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And Jesus was always giving, always giving towards his creation, towards us. You know, if you don't know Christ, I would hope that you would come to a place where you realize that who Jesus is and the fact that he loves you so much that he gave himself on the cross to die for your sins. And Jesus loves you and he has given himself a selfless sacrifice for you. So when I think of the worship of Christ, I think of his life. I think of the fact that the life of Jesus has worth and it is a life worth my worship that Jesus gave, that he stepped down and he became a man. So cultivating worship, his life, a selfless servant. Let's look at a second thing here about cultivating worship that Paul makes mention of here. His death, it was an act of humility. Listen to what verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. You know, we consider the worship of Christ, of his death, the incarnation of Christ was just one step. But it continued. It wasn't the fact that Jesus just became a man. But it's the fact that he died a human death. That takes great humiliation. And it wasn't just any death. Notice the text there. It says, even the death on a cross. That Jesus humiliated himself, became a man, and then he took it one step further and died on a cross. You know, the, the cross, the death of a cross was not a beautiful picture. The Romans perfected the cross. They took it and borrowed it from uh, the Greeks. And when the Romans perfected it, I mean, it was like swift punishment. We can read in history talking about the fact of uh, during the uh, rise of Spartacus, that in one day, the Roman government executed, put to death 600 men in one day on a cross. The crosses were lined all the way from Capua all the way to Rome. And so the death the cross, the crucifixion was an ugly, terrible, painful, humiliating way to die. Here's Jesus. He's led out into the great hall about 9 o'clock in the morning. They take him. They tie his wrists together. They strip him of his clothing. And they begin to beat him with a cat of nine tails. The lictor, the one that instituted the uh, punishment, had a long piece of uh, leather called a flagellum. And on that flagellum had pieces of bone, had pieces of iron. It had pieces of, of uh, sharp razor edge type material. And when he would begin to whip the victim, those pieces of bone or, or iron or, or sharp objects would literally grasp onto the flesh and that Roman lictor would then just jerk on it and literally tear the flesh 
of his victim. So here's Christ. He is being beaten with a cat of nine tails. They go over there after his initial beating. They untie him and he falls over in a pool of blood. They said that most people did not survive the beating of a Roman lictor. Christ here is then taken. He is led out to Golgotha. There the soldiers work with precision to crucify those that are coming to be crucified. The crucified, the crucifixion was a, a system that was, that was given to those who were the worst criminals in the state. And here they lead Jesus. They take him over there. They have it all set up. One of the Roman soldiers probably jerks Jesus down on the ground. The other ones, they stretch out his arms upon the cross beams. Another Roman soldier kneels into the, to the inside of his arm, begins to stretch out his arm. And they take Jesus and they find the, the place there in his arm. And they take out some Roman spikes and they set it in place. They brings up the hammer and sets it in place. They finish one arm, move quickly to the other. After they set his arms, they begin to take that cross beam and they lift it higher, higher, higher. And there's a mortise in one of the posts there, a joint, and they set it into place. The legs are next. They take the legs of Jesus and they bend them ever so slightly. They don't stretch them out. They bend them because the Romans found out that if they take the legs of the victim and bend them, the victim has a longer time of agony on the cross. The crucifixion was death by asphyxiation. Their arms are stretched out and the weight of their body hanging on the cross, it becomes very tiresome to get in breath and exhale the breath. And it said that victims on the cross would linger for days. The Romans found out a good solution for that. They would come and they would break the legs of the victim. So they could not push up to get a breath and then slump down. Push up and slump down. Push up and slump down. Can you imagine the pain as they were pushing on the nail in their feet? And the pain as that it was hanging inside of their wrist. This was going on for hours and hours and hours. And here the Bible tells us that Jesus became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus and I think about who he is and the fact that he humbled himself and he wasn't fighting. He wasn't trying to break loose. The Bible says that he laid down his life. The Bible tells us that as a lamb going before the shears, he didn't even open up his mouth. And he became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. Most crucified people, they would hang there naked for all the world to see as a spectacle. 
and for Jesus himself, the king of the universe, the God of the universe, to become a man and to be crucified for us. My worship towards him should be, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming a man. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. And it's more than just the fact of him dying on the cross. Because I think the worst part of this was the fact that Jesus became sin. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As Jesus hung on that cross, the Bible tells us that there was a storm and the clouds and the, the sun became dark. And Jesus cried out and he says, Father, why have, you, why have you forsaken me? And God himself turned his back on his son as Jesus became sin for us. And Jesus took all the full punishment of God while he was on that cross. And so for me to think about worship, the worship of Christ, the fact that Jesus became a man, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, our heart attitude should be, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to worship you. It really puts us out of the picture and brings in Jesus. And we look at Christ and we say, oh, what a great God that we do have. What a great God that we do serve. Jesus died on the cross. It was an act of humility in his life. Notice the third thing here about this. When we cultivate worship, I love this part. There's an exaltation our object of worship. Because Jesus died on the cross, I love this. Look at the text. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. You think about that, highly exalted. God has highly elevated Jesus to the highest degree. Listen to what Psalm 96.9 says about the exaltation of the Lord. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. All of creation worships him. Jesus has been exalted that his name is above every name. So God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. It is at the name of Jesus that we find hope and peace Enjoy. It is the name of Jesus that we are released and set free from our sins. It is the name of Jesus that we find the power to confess that he is Lord. Notice what his exaltation has done for us. The Bible says his exaltation is to the glory of God the Father. Jesus becomes the object of our worship. He becomes the, the full direction of our love and adoration towards the Lord. And it is through Jesus that we worship. It is through Jesus that we have a love, a heartfelt um, passion towards him and him alone. You know, I don't think we really grasp the gravity 
of how greatly God has chosen to exalt his son. God has chosen to exalt his son for the purpose of worship. Christ is the object of our worship. He is the reason why we should be gathered here together. He is the reason why we should partner together to, uh, of his mission to redeem man from the earth. He is the reason why we, we should have our direction and our purpose in life. And so God has highly exalted him. You know, I think of the scripture where Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So how about in my life? How about in your life? Have we been exalting Jesus Christ? Have we been lifting him up? Not because it's just the cool, cliche Christian thing to do, but because God himself stepped out of creation, stepped out of heaven and became a man because Jesus was humbled even to death, even the death of the cross. And because God has chosen to exalt the name of his son, we should have the same purpose, the same desire to worship Jesus Christ. You know, some of you have been in here as a Christian for many, many years. Maybe you were, became a Christian and Christ follower when you were little boy, little girl, maybe some of you when you're a teenager, some of you maybe later on in life. But our life should be about worshiping Jesus. I feel that we sometimes get so carried away with all of the external things, all of the things that are around us, and we forget to just worship Jesus. I mean, his death. I mean, God makes a big deal about it. I think we should too. God makes a big deal about the fact that Christ resurrected from the grave. I think we should make a big deal about that as well. God makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus became a man, took on himself the form of a servant. I think we should do that as well. Now here's the key with all that. If we are going to desire his presence in worshiping Christ, how are we going to make that presence known? Let's look at the text here because Paul actually talks about this. Look at uh, Philippians chapter number two, beginning in verse number one. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now here it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If I'm going to make the presence of Jesus known, if I'm going to desire his presence and make his presence known, then I have to realize, hey, I'm to be worshiping Jesus and he's given me a perfect example of how I'm to live that out in the world. I don't seek my own desires, my own interest. I'm looking out for the interest of others. You realize what a transformation that would make not only in the church, but outside of the church. If we actually just live that way and said, hey, 
my interest is not me, for me, it's for you. And be a selfless servant towards others. To actually humble ourselves. To actually be serving others. That's not natural. Because we are all selfish. You know how I know we're selfish? Think of how many times when you talk and you use the word I. <laughs> we're all selfish people. Myself included. And I would love to strive to serve Christ and to serve others. So how about you? How about me? Are we cultivating worship? Are we worshiping Christ? Are we making him the object, the supreme object of our worship? Are we focusing on all these other things in life? Jesus and Jesus only should be our desire. Jesus and Jesus only should be the focus of our worship. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity we got to look into your word. And God, you have given us just such a great example of your love towards us. God, thank you for proving your love towards us. Even though while we were yet a sinner, you died for us. And God, that just speaks so much volume of, of who you are as a God, one that loves his creation so much that you willingly sent your son to die for us. Lord, I do pray that we as a church would focus on you, that we would have our attitude and our hearts set towards you. God, please remove all of the peripheral things in our lives that are drawing away our focus and help us to focus on Christ and Christ alone. Lord, you know the kind of world that we live in and you know how dark it is and it just seems like it's getting darker and darker. God, please help us to shine the light of Jesus wherever we go. Help us to be selfless servants and to serve others the way that you served us. We thank you, we love you, we ask all this in Christ's name, amen.